Wonderful Heavenly Father. Lord, we're so thankful that there is a blood that stands between us and you, Lord. We have no good works to claim tonight. We have nothing in ourselves to present, Lord. We look back to a lamb that was slain 2,000 years ago. A blood that is still in your presence today. Lord, making intercession for us. Lord, we stand before you tonight saying we claim that blood, Lord. Lord, if there's sickness here tonight or represented by somebody watching the service, oh God. Lord, we claim the blood stains. We claim the stripes that were made on that precious Lamb of God to lose healing virtue within our lives. If there be needs, Lord, whatever they might be, if there be pain, if there be uh, spiritual needs or any other kinds of needs, financial needs, Lord, you're here to meet them all because there was a sacrifice made that brought the whole word of God to be paid for and paid for our sins and brought us into your presence. Bridge the gap, bridge the chasm between God and man and brought us back to who we were meant to be. We thank you for that. We claim the blood tonight. We accept the blood. And Lord, as we're gathered together tonight, we thank you that we could be in divine presence tonight. Lord, we're thankful for the word that you have sent in this hour. We're thankful, Father, for the light that you have allowed us to walk in. For if we walk in the light, then we know the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Lord, we thank you for this service. We ask your blessing upon it, upon the word, the ministry, the reading, every part of this service. May it be to your glory, we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Do you love the Lord tonight? Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. I'm happy tonight too. Amen. Lord bless you. Have your seats for a moment. Amen. Thank you, musicians. That's all the singing will do. And, uh, I just want to bring you greetings from Grand Prairie in Edmonton. I, I decided to take a few days and go and visit family and spend time with family. You know, if you're, how many grandparents do we have here? How many grandparents? Amen. It's good to be grandparents, isn't it? Amen. And, and I don't get to be around my grandchildren very much. And so it's nice to get there and spend some time with them. And, and when I'm a long ways away and, I know that they're becoming teenagers. My own grandchildren are becoming teenagers. And I, and we know that teenagers go through things. You want to be there to support as much as you can. And, and so we went and spent time with family. And then, uh, and then I said to brother Darren Boyer, you know, I'm going to be there on Thanksgiving weekend if you want. Um, I could take a service, but it's up to you. And he said, no, take them all. And, uh, thank you very much. And, Brother Darren Boyer sends his greetings and his love here to the ministry. And uh, the pastor's not here tonight, but God bless the pastor to Brother Biscoe. Then we went down to Edmonton where some of my family is, and I said the same thing. And they said, take them all. And uh, and so, and plus they added another service, kind of a Bible study with young men on Saturday. And we spent about three hours, actually probably about four hours with uh, about a dozen young men. And uh, they were just hungry for the word and... And we just had a wonderful time with them. And then on Saturday, two services. And so greetings to you from Brother Harold Hildebrandt and Brother Ed Hammermeister in Edmonton and all of the ministry there. So they all send their greetings and their love. And I gave them your greetings as well, knowing that you would want to greet them. 
And so it's good to be here tonight. One thing before we go to the Word, I want to just bring a little update in Uganda. Things don't stand still. And uh, and so we're very thankful that uh, we had mentioned before we left that the church age books uh, had arrived in the country, but they were held up a little bit in customs while they finally um, got through the red tape. And so they're, there they were delivering them to the little office space that we had rented. Uh, there you can see a Bible believer's name on the, on the door. And, uh, and so we needed some storage and some office space to store the books kind of as a central point of distribution. And so the Ugandan or the Luganda language church age book printed in China, 5,000 copies is now being distributed in Uganda. And uh, praise be to God. The, the people, the new believers are loving it. These are Baptists, by the way. Or maybe I should say, these were Baptists. <laughs> and, uh, and they're just hungry for the word. This picture does not do it justice. Uh, Brother Mark has put a video together of some of the distribution. And you can see that on the church, on the BibleWay.org website, under the missions section. And uh, if you haven't signed up for the newsletter, go down to the bottom of the page, sign up for the newsletter, then you'll get a notice every time there's a new post. But you'll want to see that video because it's like Walmart on Black Friday. (laughs) And those of you that are Americans know what I'm talking about. The people just are not taking no for an answer. They want their church age book. And as well, they're getting other books there as well. Uh, So we, we have the... Uh, books beginning to come into the country, and God bless you for everyone that has given to the project there. We have a print station set up, and and uh, the brothers are busily printing out the first book off the print station, 500 copies of My Life Story, and uh, that's just being printed this week for distribution. And so the print station is already up and running and active and printing out books for the country. Praise the Lord. We also sent in some uh, MP3 players and uh, from China as well. It seems to be the best place to buy things. And uh, these are MP3 players that the Chinese believers use. And we brought a 100 of them into the country. They're about $40 a piece. So that cost us about $4,000. And these are largely for the ministers to get the voice of Brother Branham. And uh, now that's a 100 MP3 players. There's probably about two to three hundred ministers and, and so we're looking when the Lord supplies to buy more MP3 players. And that's just the new ministers, not including ministers that are in the country already that don't have Brother Branham's voice in a player. And we'd like to be able to supply all of them. So that's going to take many hundreds of these players. And, uh, you know, just like when Brother Bisco went to the Philippines, I gotta slow down a little bit because I just get rattling off here. And, uh, uh, took a survey of ministers in the Philippines and found out what they needed. And what they needed was the message of the hour. There were many ministers, what were they preaching to their people if they themselves didn't hardly have the message? And so Brother Biscoll, uh, with divine inspiration, set up the office in the Philippines to help distribute. And that's, that time has come and gone. And the ministers in the Philippines have been helped and supplied. And I believe that God is helping and supplying the ministry in Uganda at this time. And so continue to pray uh, that God will continue to supply because the revival, the move of God amongst 
many of the uh, denominational realms in Uganda has begun to spread into the western part of the country. What we've described so far has been mostly the eastern part. Brother James Navanabundi tells me about these meetings and these people. He says he has baptized 67 people from a church in the western part of Uganda, which is near Kasisi, a very much more remote area than even what we've been in so far. And uh, and he just sent me a note the other day just to tell me, and these people have been ejected from their church by the denomination. And so it's a, there is a cost to receiving the truth. We all know that. But whoever's not willing to take up the cross and follow him is not worthy of him. And so we all have our cross to bear. We all have our own individual battles that we go through. But we want to remember our brothers and sisters over here. When God's moving, listen, they've already counted the cost and they're willing to pay it. And and all we're trying to do is help support them with the word that will mature their souls. Amen. They've come to the light of the word. They've been baptized. They've made the initial steps. But God sent a message in this hour to bring rapturing faith. And they deserve rapturing faith as much as we do. I believe rapturing faith lays in this message. How many believes that? Amen. It's this message that is the light of the hour. It's this message that, that combats the spirit of the age. It's this message and only this message. This, Brother Brown says in one place, this is the only light there is in this age. Of Laodicea. It's the only light there is. My, what a wonderful thing to be walking in this light. Amen. And so we're thankful for what God's doing there. And uh, uh, continue to remember them in prayer. More books are being printed. The next printing will be 2,000 English church age books in China. And then over to the SEALS book. And then uh, in both Luganda and Chinese. And then we have to also print a lot of individual titles off the printing press there, which they're busily doing right now. I say, praise God. It's wonderful what's happening. I'm glad people are still hungry for the word. And you know, sometimes I think that we under, uh, not undervalue, I think we value it, but we underemphasize this message in North America. Don't be scared of this message. Take it to work. Take it to school. Take it wherever you go. Tell the people. Brother Ryan preached a message. Go. Tell. And you know, uh, there, there's really something to being able to share something with somebody that you know is the only light that they'll ever encounter. Amen. That's a great burden for us. Amen. Let's stand together and take our Bibles. Turn with me in the book of Ruth to chapter 1. Book of Ruth, chapter 1. Just after Judges, just before 1 Samuel. Remember, prayer meeting this Friday at 7.30. 7.30 this Friday, prayer meeting here in the Fellowship Hall. Amen. I'm just waiting for the pages to stop turning. Then I know you found it. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. 
Heavenly Father, once again, we bow in your presence. So many great things you've done. So many great testimonies of every life in this room. Supernatural things, Lord. Powerful things that would rock the world if they would really understand what you're doing in the lives of this end time bride. Lord, I pray as we read these scriptures and speak thereof, we're asking that the Holy Spirit, the discerner of the thoughts and intents of every heart, would come amongst us and direct this service the way it would go. Even as Brother Nathaniel prayed, Lord, you know what each one has need of. And you're able to take any vessel that would yield to you into your hands for your purpose. And Lord, we just ask in the humility of a life that, Lord, all that I have I give unto you. And Lord, only you can use it for your glory. We just surrender to you tonight asking your blessing upon the reading and the speaking of your word in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Ruth chapter 1, and we'll begin at verse 11. Familiar scripture, but just to refresh us. And Naomi said, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should bear me, bear also, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Now, I'll just pause for a moment while you're still standing. Of course, um, Naomi is referring to the law which she understood. If, if a, a brother dies and another brother's to take that wife and raise up seed to the memory of the departed one and to the inheritance of the departed one. And, uh, and she had no more sons to give these daughters to. And so she said, go back. I don't have anything to offer you. And furthermore, she took the blame upon herself. And uh, we know there's some deep spiritual meanings here. But I want to say, taking responsibility goes a long way. Sometimes we have to take responsibility for our own actions. And we can't uh, blame somebody else. Oh, the way I was raised, or because this happened, or somebody. No, we are responsible. Whether we accept or reject the word, we or we accept or reject the power of God. And, uh, and so she was doing all that she could do and releasing her daughter-in-laws. Verse 14. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Clear-cut decision. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried, and the Lord so do, do so to me, and more also, if aught but death depart thee and me. Amen. Lord, add his blessing to the word. You may be seated. 
Now the book of Ruth takes place, if we read from verse 1, we would find it in the days when the judges ruled. Between the time of, of Joshua placing the people in the land and the time of the kings. And so we find that it is a time when the nation was to possess a land. God had given them their inheritance and they were to possess that inheritance. Even as Joshua, before he left, said there's much land to possess. And so it wasn't just that they had come across Jordan. And coming across Jordan represented the new birth. It represented death to self. And they had come into the land and Joshua had placed them or given their inheritance but they had not fully possessed their inheritance. And so then at a particular time, and we don't know exactly the timing here, but we know that there was a, a, um, an individual that, that took his family because a famine had come into the land, and, and we don't know necessarily the reason of the famine, but yet a famine had come into the land, and so he had taken his family and maybe taken them into the land of Moab, where maybe the economic opportunity was better. And there's always a temptation to leave where God has chosen to bless us to be distracted by something that the devil will lay before our eyes. It might be a better job. It might be a better paying job. It might be a nicer place. It might be somewhere better economically. It maybe might be somewhere else, whatever it might be. But but they decided that regardless of what God had commanded them, which was to stay in the land, they decided to drift over to Moab and to to take their inheritance, uh, leave their inheritance rather, and go into that land. So they didn't possess the land, and they didn't realize the potentials of the land. And and there, Naomi and her and her husband and the cho- and the boys. Though now the boys took wives of that land, Ruth and Orpah. And there they had wives, but they had no children. And then the husband died, and then the sons died, and then it became just Naomi and the girls. Now. Here they come now going back. They, they heard that there was food in the land of Israel. So, so Naomi says, I'll go back there. But I don't have any hope there. But not seeing the great things that God had in store. So to, to Ruth and to Naomi, they took an identification in the land, but they didn't really know what was about to be revealed in their lives. They did not yet know that they were in the lineage of David and to be in the lineage of the forefathers of the Lord Jesus Christ who would take the the name of the house of David or the, the name of the tribe of Judah. And they didn't understand that there was a kinsman redeemer in the land that God had ordained to redeem them back to their inheritance. There was many things that they did not yet know, but there was something moving within Ruth. There must have been some kind of connection that she had made with with Naomi that when Orpah turned back. Now, I want you to notice something here. Ruth and Orpah both cried. They both wept. They both were emotional. But it wasn't the emotions that did it. Orpah being emotional was saying goodbye. But Ruth being emotional, that wasn't it. But there was something on the inside of the inside that was saying, where you go, I'm going to go. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Now she had had a Moabite upbringing, but now she had 
taken an identification with the children of Israel by being married into the house of Naomi and thereby God allotted to her an inheritance. And I can honestly say it was no surprise to God that Ruth was going to come back to the land. And if anything, if there was anything good that came out of the lineage of Lot, this was it. Because Lot was Abraham's nephew, and we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and how that he lost his wife, and he didn't have any sons, and then his daughters got him drunk, and and, and they had children by their own father, and out of that came Moab. And so we can say, could any good thing come out of that? One thing good came out of it. A Gentile bride for Boaz. Amen. Listen, you can go back in your lineage. You can go back so many generations and say, Oh, it's so bad back here. Is there any hope for me? There was hope for Ruth. Hallelujah. And that wasn't it. Well, that was even before Calvary. Because God had something in his mind that he was going to display. Their lives was going to be a prophecy. And so now, Ruth... Come under a different covenant. To her, it was natural, not expecting or not understanding or not aware of the eternal aspect of her decision. Many times we make decisions and we're not really aware, but it has supernatural or eternal implications. I was reading in a place today. I think it was Kinsman Redeemer where Brother Brown talks about a man choosing a wife. And he says, he says, you know, uh, he says a man, if he chooses a wife just because she's pretty, they'll come an end to that. But he said, if he, he chooses a woman because, you know, there's something about her there that, you know, he can't really describe, but he just loves her. There's just a connection there and she loves him and and all of that. He says, then that's an eternal connection. That's something that goes just beyond the natural. And so uh, Ruth, she didn't uh, necessarily understand what was unfolding, but it had a, an eternal and a supernatural element to it. And many times in life, the decisions we make, we need to be careful because it might look like a natural decision to go this way or a natural decision to go that way. Orpah went one way, Ruth went another way, but one way was God's way and the other way led to nothing. We never heard of Orpah again. And so in the times of decision, we've got to be serious before God. Because we're not the children of this world. We're the children of God. And so decisions we make must have the leadership of the Holy Spirit. They must be moved uh, by God. And we, we really have to come to a desperation to say, Lord, is this really you that wants me to make this decision? Is this really you that's leading me in this direction? Because I don't want to make a mistake. And as Brother Adam said, if our motive is right and our objective is right and everything's and it's, we find it's God's will, he says, then God will come behind it and vindicate that we've made the right decision. Amen. Are you happy for that? The way forward for Ruth into the unknown was better than what she knew that she was leaving behind. The way of character was greater than the way that is devoid of character. 
Brother Branham said in the church age book, he says, he says, will you, he says, he, out of the scripture, he takes, uh, buy of me gold tried in the fire, which is the Christ-like character that we're, that we are commissioned. We are called to go and get this Christ-like character rather than take our way with the characterless age of Laodicea that we live in. This is a characterless age. I read a headline in the news just recently, and they said the pro- a lot of the problems we're having in America was American news. A lot of problems is because many, many years ago, we made race and gender and everything more important than character. And that's the reality. That's the age you're living in. I'm not getting into politics tonight. It's all corrupt from the top to the bottom. Ruth didn't know of the kinsman redeemer law. Naomi was expressing it here. Sons, I don't have a son. You know, she was trying to relate to them different promises that were in the word. But Ruth didn't really, she wasn't raised in that. In Moab, it didn't work like that. Uh, But there was an allotted way to possess an inheritance that was lost. And at the time, it was all hidden to her. And this is important. It's a t- at, at this time was all hidden to her, but the all-knowing God was directing events. Sometimes something might be hidden to you. Just trust God. All things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. He has a purpose. He has a purpose in your life. He has a purpose in my life. There's a reason He called you. There's a reason He unveiled His Word to you. There's a reason He lets you walk in this light. There's a reason for it. And and we don't have to figure it all out. It's not about figuring it all out. It's about trusting Him. Amen. He didn't bring me this far to, to cast me aside. Amen. He brought you all this way because he's got a purpose in doing something in your life. And, and we're talking tonight, by the way, sometimes we don't say our title, but uh, we're, we're talking about being returned to our inheritance. Because that's what a kinsman redeemer is, is to take us back to our inheritance. In Leviticus chapter 25, it speaks about it in verse 23 and, and, and it says, the land shall be not, shall not be sold forever for the land is mine for you are strangers and sojourners with me. God speaking to Israel. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant a redemption for the land. You see, now here's a tremendous something. Are you with me? This is a tremendous something. I hope you, you're understanding the significance of these things because, because God is applying something to Israel that's unknown to the rest of the world. To the rest of the world, it's just take and have, conquer, uh, ob- obtain, buy, sell, economics, uh, intelligence, good times you own and bad times you lose and all of those kind of things. But God says, no, it won't be so for you. When you are in this land, I'm giving you this land. God promised it to Abraham. I'm giving you this land and I'm allotting it to your tribes and I'm giving it to you individually. But even in the land, there'll come hard times, but I'm making a way of redemption for the land. I'm making a way of redemption for your inheritance. 
And then he says, if thy brother be waxen poor and has sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And you can go and read Leviticus 25, and I think Leviticus 27 also deals with it. And so this had to be something that was beyond natural economic circumstances. This is beyond how good your job is. Hello, sons of God. Hello, daughters of God. This is beyond just what natural is. This is a God to whom you call a father that knows you by name and that wrote your name on his book before the Lamb's book, before the foundation of the world, on the Lamb's book of life. And there he had exactly in mind what he has for you. And there is a law of redemption. And that he would send a kinsman redeemer to pay the price for you to possess your inheritance. Because he knew we would be unable to pay the price. Oh, I'm really jumping ahead of myself. But we have to realize, you know, in the light of the hour. uh, Let me just say now, I'm just going to go off my nose and just start talking about it. Some people call it preaching. You know. That we have to realize in the light of this hour, it took this message to bring us the reality of what a kinsman redeemer really means. Brother Adam takes it in the message kinsman redeemer. And he establishes the principle of restoration through redemption. And then he brings it again in Revelation chapter 5. Why does he bring it in Revelation chapter 5 in 1961? I believe it is. And then in 1962, uh, I think Jubilee in return. 1963 in the breach message. He lays all these things in there about redemption. Why is he laying it there? Because without understanding kinsman redeemer, you can't understand what the lamb is doing in Revelation 5. You've got to understand the principle. And the principle is that Christ, 2,000 years ago, God became a kinsman. And he becoming a kinsman came to redeem back what was already yours. It was your inheritance, but you didn't know it. Or even though you might have read about it, there was no way to obtain it. But Christ paid the price. There had to be one that had the resources to do it. And he was the one. The God of the heavens became flesh and became kinsman. And went through what we went through. And was tempted in all manner like we are except without sin. He never made a mistake. He didn't need to be born again. Because he was born right the first time. He was the spoken word seed of God. And he came down in flesh, but to show what we were meant to be, that we could be born again by the incorruptible seed of God, that he might bring us back to our inheritance. And so he sends a prophet, he sends a message in this hour to take us back to the revelation. Listen, this is what it was about. It wasn't just about the blood to pay for your sins. It wasn't just that. It wasn't just that you were some human being that happened to be born and come into the world. Hello, Ruth. And just happened to come along to a certain place. Just happened to hear the word. No, it was more than that. God was doing something. He had a redemptive purpose in his mind. He was going to have a Gentile bride. And he had her in his thoughts before the foundation of the world. And she has a place. And he's redeeming her to that place. 
I, I'm not really preaching on Ruth tonight. I'm preaching on inheritance. But let me just say when Ruth finally comes back from the, the threshing floor. I love it. I love the way it's written in the Bible. It's, Naomi says to her, who are you? Now she knew Ruth the Moabitess. But now she's saying, who are you? Hello? In other words, have you got a revelation of who you are? When this bride recognizes who she is, that's when the rapture is going to go. And so she had to lay at the feet of Boaz to recognize her position in the eyes of Boaz. Just like we have to lay at the feet of Jesus until we recognize our position in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we can stand and say, I'm nothing but the spotless, virtuous, without blemish bride of Jesus Christ. And it's not based on my works, it's based on His blood. Hallelujah! It's got nothing to do with how I feel. Glory, it's got nothing to do with what my mind is trying to tell me. It's got nothing to do with what's in my memory. It's got nothing to do with what's in my imagination. It's got nothing to do with that. How can you tell I was just in greatest battle ever fought? It's got nothing to do with all those things. And I'll tell you what, it's got everything to do with what God thought of me before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. And when that little woman, Ruth, was born over there in Moab, Moab, that illegitimate nation that came from an illegitimate beginning, that had nothing hardly good about it, but God had his eye upon that little girl. And said, this one is going to be a representation of my Gentile bride. Hallelujah. Glory. I'm sorry, it's Wednesday night. You're supposed to be calm and and just tame. This is an exciting message. This is glorious. God coming down as a kinsman. First Peter 1. Let's go there. First Peter 1. I've preached on it here in the last year, I think. But let's read it again. What's that song? If we don't sing, if we don't shout. It's going through my mind right now. If we don't lift up the name of the Lord. I can't remember it. (laughs) That's enough of it. First Peter 1. Praise God. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again, that's born again, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. Not just born again. Not just to a lively hope, but to an inheritance. Incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. There's an inheritance laying there and there's a law of redemption. There's an inheritance there and there's a law of redemption. Reserved in heaven for you. That's kept by guarding. Who are kept by the power of God. Through faith unto salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. And ready or not, here we are. All right, we are in the last time. What's the last time? After the opening of the seals. After the seals come open, you were living in the last days. So there's a revelation that comes in the last days to reveal the salvation that contains an inheritance, making us join heirs with Jesus Christ. 
It always has been in effect. It has always been the inheritance. The bride is called from every age. But in the last days, there'll be a revelation that will change the relationship of the church from church to bride, from betrothed to the bride or married woman. And so that will come into a reality in this hour by the revealing of God. Nothing else. There's there's something held that Peter spoke of. There's something held in heaven, reserved, waiting. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, all the mystery of God would be finished. Hallelujah. That's why it's the only light of the hour. Because there's other people that's not waiting for this light. They're not looking for a revelation of this inheritance. They're trying to make their inheritance in a denomination. Trying to make their inheritance in a country. Trying to make their inheritance in a, in a government. Trying to make their inheritance in some kind of earthly existence. Our inheritance is the character and life that was written on the Lamb's Book of Life. That we're going to be caught away ever to be with the Lord. And the only thing we take is our character. This body will be changed. Amen. There will be a transformation and we'll be ever with the Lord. Now, the fact that this is an inheritance tells us that we are considered when it is possessed originally. In other words, God said to Abraham, I give you this land and to your seed to possess all this land. But first, there's got to be a A journey, and after 400 years, you'll come out of a strange land. Your children will come out and possess this land. So you're not just going to live here and grow into it. You're going to go through some things, and you're going to come back and possess it. All right? Not just Abraham personally, but but the the nation of Israel. Now, our inheritance is not Israel. Our inheritance is, is as the bride of Jesus Christ, what Adam lost in the Garden of Eden. So all that Adam lost would be, all that was in God would be poured into Christ. All that was in Christ would be poured into the church. And then Christ and the church would be united, that's now, to the purpose that there would be another Eden restored. Or in other words, go back to what Adam lost. And here we are now. All right. You still with me? I know it's Wednesday night. Many of you worked hard today, like I did. And... uh and so you're, you're maybe tired, but God give us strength in our minds. Amen. All right. Greatest battle ever fought. Brother Brown says, he says, I thought of the order of the heavenly host. Not one of them's out of place. Everyone keeps its time perfectly. God's great army. I thought of the soldiers. How that if that moon would happen to get out of order. All right. So now he's. Talking about the entire universe. And then he comes to one soldier. The moon. That's you. One soldier. Alright. He says. If that moon would happen to get out of order. The earth would be covered again with water. Just in a few minutes. Alright. He says when the earth. Or when the moon rather rocks a little bit away from the earth. The tide comes up. And when it goes down. Just follows the tides. It's God's great army. And I thought then if that great heavenly host like that has to keep its place to make everything in order, what about the disorder of the earthly host? How about when one gets out of order? How it throws the whole thing out of cater? The whole program of God is upset when one member gets out of order. We should continually strive to keep the order of the Spirit. 
All right. Now that's why I went to Ruth because they got out of order. But God made a way to get back into order. All right. So now Brother Branham's saying that, that even as a body, the program of God is upset when one member gets out of order. Don't look at somebody else. Look at yourself. All right. When one member gets out of order, it upsets the, the plan of the program of God. He said, I would to God this morning that we would bring this to a real healing service. That we could keep this group that we have gathered under the roof. Listen now, this is powerful. That we would keep, that we could keep this group that we have gathered under the roof this morning in such a harmony that the Holy Spirit would place every member of the body that's here this morning in such harmony till there would be such a spontaneous healing of soul and body. If we'll just hold our positions. Oh my. So what does the devil want you to do? He wants you to get out of position. All right. We'll come to that in a little bit. So we, we realize that. It, uh, I'll maybe get ahead of myself here and just say. That's the purpose of the ministry. It's not to heal you. Even though the words that we speak. If they're the word of God. There's power in those words to do the work. But really the purpose of ministry is to bring the body into one mind and one accord. That if we can all get in, in, the, in our place and hold our position, then the Spirit of God would move in such a way to, to allow spontaneous healing of soul and body. Alright now, so it's not all on the minister then. So then the minister has a purpose to lay the word out, but you have a place which is to accept the word as the word brings you into position and stay in position. Are you with me? He says the only thing that he's waiting for is for his army to get in their position, like the stars, get to position. He says, do you realize there's only two powers in all the universe? There's only two powers, there's only two kingdoms, two powers and two kingdoms. All the rest is little minor things that are connected with either one of those powers. And those powers is God's power and Satan's power. Every war, every disorder, everything that comes along is either controlled by God's power or Satan's power. Because that's the only two powers that there is. That is the power of life and the power of death. All right. Now he makes his key statement here. You listening? And Satan, his power he's got is the perverted power of God. He says, it isn't no real power. It's a perversion of God's power. Everything that Satan has. Death is only a perverted life. A lie is only the truth mistold. Adultery is an act misused. A righteous act misused. Everything that Satan's got, excuse me, is something that was perverted, but it's a power and we are here, we are today setting here, one or the other power is going to control us. So let's cast out the evil one. Let's take our position like the stars of the heavens. All right, now what's Brother Branham here? I'm just going to paraphrase it in Tim Dodd English. All right, and that is simply, God is the only real power that there is. Satan's power 
is to take God's law and make it out of order. That's perverted power. Today in Canada, you know what it is. It's perversion. They've legalized marijuana. Now, God made marijuana. I didn't get no amens on that. Thanks, Brother John. God made marijuana. God created it. Come on. But God never told us to smoke it. Right? God made the plant, but he never told us to smoke it. God made tobacco. But he never told you to smoke it because it'd kill you. Right? And so there's certain many things in the world that God made. God made poppies. Is that right? (laughs) Now you're all, praise God. (laughs) No, no, no. God made it, but it's man that perverts it through the inspiration of the devil. Because the only power the devil has is to pervert what God has done. A lie is a truth mistold. Adultery is a righteous act taken outside of marriage. All of those kind of things is the way the devil operates. And that's why the power that the devil has over somebody's life is to get them to stay out of order from the word of God. But when you hear the word of God, repent, the way of redemption, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's God's order. God has a way. And all of the effort of the purpose of the ministry now is to take the people and bring them to that rest because there's something God wants to do for people that will walk in obedience to the word. Total obedience to the word or perfect obedience to the word. What entitles you to the token, the life on display. And so we realize that Either God's order will control us or Satan's disorder will control us. But one or the other will control you. And if we all find our place, come to that place, then God will move in such a powerful way. All right? There's an order. Now, Brother Branham takes, are you still with me? All right. Brother Branham takes Ruth and takes her through four stages, deciding, serving, resting, and rewarded. Now, I I guess that I, I talked about ministry, what ministry is for. As ministers, we're trying to lead people to a decision, to service, that will bring them to their rest. But ministry does not bring the reward. It's the decision, the service, and that brings the rest that then the reward can come. All right. And so Ruth had to come to that place of their, of her rest that the supernatural plan of God could be revealed in her life. All right now let's, let's just stop here now. If you're always wrestling, you're always fighting, you're always striving, you're always working towards something, you're never happy, you haven't come to that place of rest. And if you haven't come to that place of rest, the reward cannot come. Because that only comes after the rest. 
The rest is in the Holy Ghost. All right. And so it's not now it's not just the new birth. And I, and I want to emphasize that you can't get it without the new birth. But the new birth is to take you to that place of rest. This is the rest in which I will cause my people to rest. And so it's a place of rest that brings the reward and the reward is Christ. All right. So it brings you to your position in Jesus Christ. And that might be, let me tell you something. That might be something that you don't even understand. It's not about understanding. It's not about knowing. I'm not here to talk about placing and adoption and all of those uh, very, uh, very specific things that Brother Branham talked about. But what I'm saying is you've got to stay in the order that God has for you. Then you'll see God. The order of the Spirit, Brother Branham says. We have to stay in the order of the Spirit. Now, there is order. Let me t- deal with this word a little bit. There is order in an individual life. We, you know, again, I'll say as ministers, we can stand up here and say, this is right and this is wrong, and this is right and this is wrong. But there'd be no end to it. There'd be no end to go through what the world will do and, and what in the world is wrong and every little thing because the world is constantly inventing new disorder. There's constant inventions of new devices of the devil to take you away from the Word of God. There, there's no end to that kind of, I guess you could call it preaching if you want to go down that road. But there is an order. And the order is in the Word. You don't find God's order in the world. The things of the world will not help you. The Bible says all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Why? Because there are things that are ordered of God to take you to the place where God wants you. Because He wants to work in your life more than you want Him to. And I I likened it to the young brothers. And I just said very simply, I said now, and I'm not going to break a glass here, but... uh, I said, now, it's like, you know, you have two things in your life and one is here and one is here. But you don't know that actually in God's economy, this is supposed to be here and this is supposed to be here. But you you just know there are two areas of your life and maybe your priorities you have wrong. Maybe your your thoughts you have wrong, your your actions, you're, you're doing the wrong thing at the wrong time with the wrong emphasis in your life. But God, by His Word, will reveal to you, take this and put this here. Take this and put that there. It might be a part of your life, but you got to put it in its right place. And you are the only one that can make that decision. Because you're a free moral agent and God has something specifically that he has designed that he made you for a certain purpose in your life. Hope this is helping you tonight. And so it's, you know, I have my own battles. You have yours. God deals with me. God deals with you. Even at this stage in life, there's still things in my, in my life that I need to get on my knees and repent of. You know, Lord, don't ever let me become critical. Don't let bitterness of past events rise up in my life. You know, I could be as transparent as you want me to be, but it's not my battles that are important to you. It's what you have to go to your knees and say, Lord, put this in order in my life. 
Lord, make it the way you want it to be. Like, let's take Joseph for a moment, how he was down there in Egypt. Well, Joseph had to go through so many things. For God to take him where God had ordained for him to be. He saw a vision, a dream when he was a young boy. All the sheeps bowed down to him. Remember all the stars bowed down to him and all of that. It was, and it represented his family and his mom and his dad. And, and, and he, he's seeing all those things. He, he just naturally went to his brothers and just spouted off and said, Hey, you're all going to bow down to me someday. How to win friends and influence people. <laughs> Didn't work. Sometimes God speaks to you. It's better to keep your mouth closed. But God had a purpose in it, knowing he would tell his brothers, because his brothers was going to be part of the purpose. And even though it seemed like it was for evil, it was actually for good. Are you with me? So we know the story of Joseph, how his brothers get all, all uptight with him, and, and they're just tired of hearing his his what he called faith, what they called boasting. They got tired of him and said, you know, we're, we're going to just take care of this guy. We're going to kill him. We're just tired of him. And they throw him into a pit and they're going to destroy him. And, and Judah comes along and says, hey, you know what? Let's not kill him. Let's sell him. And, and so they, they, they sold him down into slavery because there was a purpose in it. Are you with me? It was a hard thing for Joseph. Here he is being drugged away from his father, which he loved. His coat of many colors was gone. He was being led away by these captives, you know, or by these traitors. What, what were they? Midianites or something? And, 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 uh, you know, as they're going down into Egypt, where he got, we're going to fetch a good penny for this guy. And they sold him down into Potiphar's house. All right, so then down in Potiphar's house, Joseph's got no choice now. He's now a slave. That's the way the economy worked in that day. And so there he is as a slave in Potiphar's house, and he and he he's honest. He's got good integrity. He, he behaves himself. He becomes the head of the household next to Potiphar over everything except his wife. And he's like, well, if this is all my life has, this is better maybe than 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 being a, sla- a slave in a worse off position. So here I am. This is all right. But that wasn't what God had for him, was it? This is not your place, Joseph. You might be able to get by in this place, but this isn't your place. Just when you think everything's going good, things go bad. I see a few of you have been through it. And all of a sudden things go sideways and and Joseph gets sold, or not gets sold, gets convicted wrongly, falsely accused, and thrown into prison for years. Years. You know, no doubt Joseph, as he's in prison, he's praying. You know, he's he's praying, God, listen, if you'll just let me out of prison, I'll be happy. No complaints. You know, just just let me go anywhere. I'll just have a little shack, a little somewhere. And, you know, maybe I'll be somebody's slave somewhere or something. You know, it it doesn't matter to me. I'll just do something very simple. and, And that's that's all I want. Sometimes when we're in a trial... We want to get out of the trial by forsaking our inheritance. And no doubt God said to Joseph, and I say no doubt because I've been through it. No doubt God said to Joseph, he said, don't you believe what I told you? Don't you believe what I showed you? Oh, that smartened him up right away. Yes, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And I remember the dream. I don't know how it's going to come to pass. Whatever you got for me, years in prison. 
Finally, the baker and the butler come by. You know the story. The baker gets killed because of what he did. The butler goes back to Pharaoh's right hand, goes back to Pharaoh and begins to uh, uh, take his position now. And Joseph says, remember me. So Joseph thinks now, oh, it's only going to be a matter of just a little bit of time. And I'm out of here because I, I helped the butler and surely the butler will help me. And the butler says nothing. A month goes by, two, three, five, six, nine. A year goes by, a year and a half goes by. There's Joseph still rotting in prison. A year and nine months, a year and 11 months goes by. Bible says at the end of two full years. Then God speaks to Joseph or God speaks to Pharaoh in the form of a dream. Now God could have sent the dream on day one. Hello? He could have. The wheels of God turned slowly. Sometimes as human beings, we're in a hurry. Amen. Or ouch. Sometimes we're in a hurry. And we just, oh, God, I want this trial to be over. I understand now. I know what it's all about. I get it. Okay, I'm into it. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. No, you're not. No, you're not. God knows when you're ready. And he kept Joseph there until he was ready. And at the end of two full years, then Pharaoh has a dream. Then everything's in place. Then he says nobody can interpret the dream. And then the butler says, oh, I forgot. There's a guy in prison. Actually, when I was there, I had a dream. And he told me what the dream was. And he's an interpreter of dream. And it was bang on. And Pharaoh says, go get this guy. And in one day. Joseph goes from in prison, hair grown out, everything. They take him, they wash him, they shave him, they take him right to Pharaoh, interprets the dream, and Pharaoh says, who else can run this whole thing but this man? Now Joseph's in position. Now God has brought him to the place that God always intended to bring him, but the pathway was not Joseph's choosing. The pathway was God's choosing. And you have to, the only choice that we have is to stay with God's order. Listen, there's an order in a life. There's an order in a home. Now, we can talk about getting away from the things of the world. We can talk about where the world is at because homes are broken. Family life is broken. Motherhood is broken. The age that we're living in, the society that we live in, you go into any nation of the world, it's broken. It's not just broken by Western ideals, it's broken by warfare. Many countries of the poor countries of the world's constant warfare. I don't know how those families survive. You know, the, the young boys go off to war and the, and the, the fathers are gone and, and then it's, if it's not warfare, it's disease. And age, AIDS rages through the community or some other disease and heads of households are lost and many things and societies are turned upside down. We're living in that kind of an age. But the word has come to restore the order of the home. Doesn't matter what order you came from, there's only one order of God and that's in His Word. 
You can't break that. If you want God to move in your life, you got to have your individual life ordered with the word. If you want God to move in your home, you've got to have your home ordered with the word. There's no way around it. So the object of parents is to maintain that order to allow the Holy Spirit to move. And parents can say amen to this when I say, and it's not easy. It's work. It's labor. It's hard decisions. It's tough. It's things that you question yourself and you wonder, did I make the right decision? Did I do the right thing? Because you have one objective is to keep that order in the home. Because when the home's out of order, the Holy Spirit cannot move. But there's more than one way to do it. It isn't just standing there and, and being the legalist of the home. We could talk about Brother Branham going into his home when it was all out of order. And he comes in and he just begins to, by by wisdom and by leading of the Holy Spirit, as he begins to pray, Lord, help me to put this back in order. Help me to change the atmosphere. Help me to bring everybody back to the place they need to be in. As his wife was crying, his children were fighting, everything was out of order. But he was the son of God that knew the word has the answer. And he began to deal with the atmosphere and begin to apply things that were not necessarily just scripture, but they were word based. Listen, parents can't save the children because God doesn't have grandchildren. But parents apply the token. Parents claim the children. Parents pray for the children. Parents keep the home in order. Parents labor because the revelation has been made real to them. And while those young people, those children, those teenagers, whatever it might be, even adults that don't have the Holy Ghost yet, but the parents are there saying, Lord, I know there's a provided sacrifice 2,000 years ago. That you've allotted for me that I can maintain this order and I'm doing it by your grace. That it will always stay in the right order. Lord, help us in our homes. There ever was an age and we needed wisdom in our homes. It's this age. I'll tell you what. We need God more than we've ever needed him before. There's order in a church. I'm not going to preach on church order, but... I think we would all say we want there to be revival in this church. You say amen to that? Not to me, but to God. Lord, we want revival in this church. So you can't take somebody else's position. You cannot usurp one another's position. Neither can you usurp one another's decisions. I'll let you think about that one for a while. You can't be somebody else and you can't outthink somebody else. There's an order. You know, in the Old Testament, the church was put into order. When Moses came down from the mountain, he was told to build the tabernacle after the pattern that he was showed in heaven. The pattern was in heaven where perfection and divine love reigns. All right. So so Moses was told here's or shown here's the pattern now. You go and take this pattern and enforce this on earth. You go make a tabernacle with three courts and you go show and put these different things into place in an earthly representation to reflect what's in heaven. Because when you do that, I will come down in the holy of holies and I will be amongst my people. Amen. 
All right, that's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Paul had to deal with the church. And in particular, the disorder of the church. He had to deal with communion. He says, how's this I hear? There's some of you who are drunk at communion. Come on. Listen, these are Christians. These are people with the Holy Ghost. Do they all have the Holy Ghost? I'm not accountable for that. I don't know. How many of them did? How many didn't? But they're at communion and they're getting drunk. That's not our idea of a message church. But Paul had to deal with it. How could he deal with the Corinthian church? He had to deal so much with order in the Corinthian church, didn't he? He had to deal with immorality. How is this that I hear that a man is living with his father's wife? He says such things are not even heard amongst the Gentiles. He says, what is going on? What, what are you thinking about? Listen, he goes through the scripture and he's, te- he's writing epistles to the churches in things that we wouldn't even think that need to be mentioned. Let fornication not be named once amongst you. Hello? Or uncleanness or effeminate or any of these things. Or, or uh, don't behave like this or don't behave like that. We think those things are the ABCs. Paul had to put it in there. Because he was dealing with the order of the church. This is what the life of a Christian is. Don't let the flesh rule, but let the born again soul rule. You know, he had to deal with the, again, the Corinthian church. He had to talk about the gifts. He had to deal with the gifts of the spirit. And he had to talk about the better gifts and the lesser gifts. And he had to talk about the gifts being in order. And even he had to tell them how to operate in tongues. Is that right? He said to show them there's certain things that are out of order. There's no interpreter. Let them, let them hold their peace and so on and so forth. And I'm not going into all these individual gifts. He even had to deal with gender. Let a woman remain silent in the church. Let her not speak. If she has any questions, let her ask at home. Oh, it must be a politically correct age. I didn't get any amens on that. Praise the Lord. The Bible deals with gender. God made man. God made woman. Period. Brother Branham had to deal with church order. Didn't he? There's an order in the church. Why is there an order? To see the presence of God move. It's not a legalism of a function of life, of, of some kind of religious liturgy or, or some kind of, uh, spiritual, um, what do they call that? Um, anywhere that ritual, that's the word I'm looking for. Some kind of spiritual ritual that this is how we do things and this is how we behave and this is, no, there's a certain order in order that you might have liberty within that order. And especially that the Holy Spirit would have liberty. We don't come into the house of God all talking and making fun and, and, and you know, uh, having a, a disrespectful attitude to the presence of the Lord that wants to move in the midst of his people. There's an order. There's a reason this church doesn't have a coffee shop in the foyer. There's a certain order. There's a certain thing that's just respectful to God. And God acknowledges those that are respectful to them. And he moves within their lives. Praise the Lord. That's what we want. We want revival. We want to come into the house of God respectful. We want to come into this place and say, I acknowledge that the creator of the heavens and earth is here. 
Young people, if you just come into the sanctuary in any old way and just any old frame of mind and, and just thinking about whatever you're thinking about and have all kinds of worldly ideas and atmospheres on you and you just come into the house of God, just any old sloppy old way. I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about people that know better. And you come into the house of God. What does that say to God? You don't come into the presence of God like that. You come into the presence of God with a reverence. You come into the presence of God with a humility. Lord, someone might get saved tonight. Someone might recognize their eternal life tonight. Someone might be healed tonight. There might be a supernatural take place that I might be a part of. Lord, I don't want to be a hindrance to it. I want to be in the order of God that God can move. Lord, if there's anything in my life that's a hindrance to the moving of your spirit in the service, take it away. Take it away. Let it be gone. If there's any demon spirit from the world that's tried to influence me, Lord, I don't want it in my life. I know you've stirred me. I know you've quickened me. I know you've made me alive. But Lord, I don't want the influence of the devil to create a hindrance for the move of God. Amen. That's because we're believers. Many are the testimonies of those that that have come to this church as not the only church, but to this church, because I know about this church, including myself. I remember the first time I sat in a service in Cloverdale, by the way, the atmosphere was beyond anything I had ever experienced because the people were serious with God. But the Brown says in the message, hear ye him. So he's speaking about adoption, 1956. He says in the Old Testament, it told the father when the, when the child was born, if he got to a place, he was restless and careless and run around and didn't care for the father's business. He always was a son, that's true. But he never did fall heir to the fellowship and the powers of his father. He says the Holy Spirit's bringing word to heaven how you're progressing in your growth. If you go back out into the world, then God can't put much confidence in you. If you're up and down, this one says something, yeah, uh uh-huh, that's it. You're following little clicks in the church. You're fussing, fighting, gaveling, backbiting. How can the church ever go on? He says, notice there's where the trouble is. Listen, he says, that's why you can't have spontaneous healing. He says, when I stood at Durban, South Africa and saw something happen here on the platform and 25,000 people got healed at one time. They took seven carloads, truckloads, cattle trucks of crutches, wheelchairs and everything off the ground. 30,000 raw heathens came to Christ in one altar call right then. That They wasn't indocumented. They, they didn't go there and say, well, now Dr. Jones said it was mental telepathy. Or Dr. Henry said it was fortune telling. They had no Dr. Henry's or Dr. Jones's. They just come simple with childlike faith and believed it. Except you be as a little child. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. But oh, he says, we Americans. Now, just because he says Americans, it doesn't excuse you Canadians. But we Americans or Canadians, we're so scholarly and so untouchable, you know. We know all about it. He says, that's the reason God can't get in. You won't listen. That's the reason the church is not progressing. 
The light fell on the western country. That's right. But what a scrupled up bunch it's gotten to be. Now you know what, what that's truth. Why this church should be a light here, brother, that the world would be flocking to it. Let me just say that. This church should be a light here, brother, that the world would be flocking to it. We're without excuse. We've had some of the best preaching this world has ever known. We, we're walking in a light that is a greater light than this world has had. It's not even just Jesus in flesh. It's Jesus revealed. And so here we are standing in these last days of great light under great preaching, anointed preachers, under this great tremendous thing. If we're out of order, we have no excuse. Lord, put us in order. Lord, if we're out of order, get rid of the disorder. Because the disorder is of the devil and put us in order. And bring us to the place and keep us in the place. It doesn't matter. Brother Branham would say from the pulpit to the janitor. Everybody in the entire service. doesn't matter whether it's the pastor and our pastor's not here and I'm not preaching against him. But it goes for the pastor. It goes for the preachers. It goes for all of us. Lord, put me in my place and keep me right there. I just want to walk with you alone. Don't let me be worried what this one's doing. Don't let me be worried what that one's doing. Let me do what you want me to do. And Lord, I know if you want me to do something, you will open the door. You will lead me to it. You will direct my footsteps. You will guide me. You'll be the one that will do it. You will anoint. And then if I'm positioned and this one's in position and that one's in position, then we got the Spirit of God moving just the way He wants to move. Somebody comes into the service a little sick, they walk out well. Someone comes in with a tumor, they walk out without it. Some comes in with some kind of a problem, they leave here without the problem. Because God's here and God's people are in order. Because the only thing that binds the power of the Holy Spirit is the devil's disorder. Disorder in action, disorder in teaching, disorder in anything. What binds the Holy Spirit in the, in the church ages? Creeds and dogmas. Wasn't that the Holy Spirit wasn't in the church? He was there. But he could only go as far as the truth would be revealed in the people. Amen. He says, this church should be a light here, brother, that the world is flocking to it, where the very Holy Spirit itself going forth with power and manifestations. And the people won't walk across the street to hear nothing about it. Even though the power of God will move, that doesn't mean the world will flock to it. But let's have the Holy Spirit move anyway. Praise the Lord. The way up is down. I loved when Brother E. Bally preached on humility. If you haven't, don't remember it. Go back and listen to it. That's the way of God is the way of humility. Amen. I got to come to a close here. Revelation 5, Brother Brown says, Nature's groaning and we're groaning with it. Nature is waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. Now listen, when I, when I read this, this is 1961. This is now 2018. I'm not reading this like it's future. I want to read it like it's right now. It's happening right in our midst. The only question is, are you a part of it? It's happening right now. I believe that with all my heart. I've seen evidences of it. But the question is, are you a part of it? 
Nature's groaning and we're groaning with it. Nature's waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God because nature was cursed with its master. When its master was cursed, the highest, speaking about Adam, then nature fell with the master. But when this kinsman redeemer come and redeem back the man that's the master over nature, then all nature is waiting for the main master. The master is the sons of God that was given this earth. God will have his heavens, of course, but this was given to men. And the kinsman redeemer come to redeem us back to that we lost. When the work is finished, we have all things again. What kind of all things? We have all power. We have eternal life. We have eternal health. We have eternal youth. We have eternal power. And we're just eternal with the eternal. Amen. Amen. Ruth not understanding the orbit that she was coming in the position. But God was just waiting for that woman to come into her position. Because he had a lineage that he was expressing to bring forth David. And to bring forth eventually the son of David. God was waiting for one person. Without that one person in place he couldn't do it. But he wasn't going to relent. He was going to bring that person to her place. And God brought her all the way through a whole bunch of circumstances to come into her position, to place her positionally in a land that she didn't even know was hers. But she became united to Boaz and became joint heirs with him in the inheritance that he redeemed. And as so also Christ has redeemed our inheritance, we come back to that by coming joint heirs with Jesus Christ. By the new birth, we come, we become the bride of Jesus Christ to come back to the inheritance that always was in the mind of God. We might have been out in the world. We might have been out in some denomination, not knowing that was ours, but it always was ours. And it's still ours. And it's here. And it's the reason the Lamb stepped forward in Revelation 5 to take the book, not for himself. And in Revelation 5, it's amazing. John wept and John rejoiced. Before the book was redeemed, John wept. But when the Lamb took the book, John rejoiced. Because he knew his name was written there, and that was the rights of redemption and inheritance laying within that book. So also your name is written there. You're the bride of Jesus Christ. Brother Branham says, as the musicians come, he said in the breach, I love this sentence. He says, law required a kinsman redeemer to redeem a lost substance... And grace met this requirement in the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Law required a kinsman redeemer and grace provided our redeemer. Amen. Let's all stand together. Amen. Aren't you glad to be redeemed? Are you glad to be the bride of Jesus Christ? Amazing grace will always be my song of praise. Amen. See, I think. Amazing grace will always be my song of
our heads together as the piano softly plays. Maybe you're here tonight and you know your life is out of order. You believe the word, but let me tell you, the devil wants to bring disorder into your life to stop the move of God. And you just want to say to the Lord, here I am, Lord. Take the disorder out of my life. I surrender this to you or I surrender that to you. I know it's, it's not, it's not expedient. It's not helping me. It's not causing me. Maybe there's somebody here that says, brother Tim, I'm locked in. I, I don't know how to get out. Listen, it looked like Ruth was locked in. She was born in a nation that had no representation in the eyes of God. But yet, God had his eye upon her and brought her out and brought her into order and brought her into her inheritance. And God can do the same for you tonight. Why don't you just surrender your life to God and say, Lord, you know where I'm at and I believe you're able to deliver me. Just lift your hand to him and say, God, I accept. I'm making my decision. These people shall be my people. This God shall be my God. Wherever they go, I will go. Lord, I give my life unreservedly to you. Heavenly Father, you see every life. You see beyond the outer circumstances. You see beyond how we can keep a good front, oh Lord. You see beyond what is maybe a face before somebody else. But Lord, you look right down into the soul realm. Lord, you look past, you look through that spirit. Maybe there's a conscience or there's a reasoning or there's a memory or an imagination or affection that's out of order. May your Holy Spirit just purge our minds today. Lord, may you just separate us from the influence of the world. We deny the influence of the world. We deny the disorder of the devil to walk in the light of the hour, oh God. Lord, take every confession tonight and turn it into a real, a real decision for you, oh God. Someone that'll stand and say, Lord, this night I made my decision. I remember many years ago sitting in the driveway with one of my sons. The world was pulling on him and you were pulling on him. I was determined, Lord. And Lord, you came by that way. And he made his decision. And he's a preacher today. Because you met him, oh God. And you put his life in order. And you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you can meet one tonight. You can bring one out of disorder. We believe you, Lord. We believe you, Lord. And Lord, we give our lives to you tonight. Whatever you say, we will do. Whatever your word is, is our word, Lord. You are our God. And we are your children. We give you glory and we give you honor. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I shall
Do you love him? Hallelujah. He's so wonderful. Take that word with you tonight. We're going to dismiss. You can linger in prayer, in worship, whatever the Lord would lead you to do. Take it home with you. Take it with you tomorrow. Say, Lord, I want you to move. I want you to be unhindered in my life. I want you to be unhindered at work. I want you to be unhindered at school. I want you to be unhindered in our home. I just want you to be unhindered, Lord. He's so wonderful. God bless you. Shake one another's hands as you go. The service is dismissed in Jesus' name.